0: And as I talk about being bold, it does not have to be confidence. You can be bold without any confidence because it's a mindset. It's a decision. I'm going to pick it up like a briefcase and bring it in. And
1: you have to just roll the dice and try it. Raise 1000 Voices is the podcast on a mission to raise the voices of the clever, creative and courageous women across the world. I am your host, Jacqueline Nagel, and I invite you to join me in conversations with women who will inspire and empower you as we explore just how to lift our levels of self-trust, to reclaim the narrative and to use our voice to go after exactly what we want, doing it with strength, power and grace. I am so looking forward to this conversation, the next one in the Raise 1000 Voices podcast series with the beautiful Julie o. Julie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jack. It's such a pleasure to be with you again. It's, again, yeah. It's, it's been a while. Yeah. It has been a while. Now, for everyone listening along at home and our audience is pretty well split across Australia and the US, whereabouts are you right now, Julie?
0: I am in Perdido, Key, Alabama. It's Orange Beach right on the line. They call it kind of Florabama. Florabama, Right on the line of Alabama and Florida. I'm packed in a condo with my sister and her six kids. <laughs> and it's so uh, you might hear some yelling, screaming, crying. It's been a day in the sun. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's it's actually my happiest week of my year every year and has been for twenty-something years. And my wonderful mother gets us all together and we cook and enjoy the beach and fight and laugh and do all the things that families
1: do (laughs) yeah exactly incredible and I actually I must admit the audience can't see you right now but you're looking incredibly relaxed and so obviously that's this week away and at Floribama so Julie for those who aren't as familiar with you where do you normally hang out I live in right outside
0: Cincinnati so the greater Cincinnati area in a a suburb called Loveland so we like to call it the land of love The land of love. Uh, The land of love. (laughs) Oh, I think we're all searching for the land of love, aren't we? Uh Uh-huh, exactly. I don't want to move because I don't want to change my mailing address. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Love
0: that. So that's me, yeah. So I ended up in Ohio through work, grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yeah, and moved around a little bit for work. It settled in Cincinnati, and ended up getting married and having kids. So that's where I've had most of my career. Perfect. Ended up, and and that's where you know where they know my name, and where I know their names, and it's, yeah. it's been
1: good. Yeah, yeah, incredible. So you mentioned moving a lot for career. I'd love the sort of five to ten minute version of Julie's story to date. So you know, your career, wherever you want to go with that, but sort of how Julie came from Baton Rouge right through to where she is now just that five to ten minute overview just so our audience can get to know you a little bit better as i did a few years ago which we'll touch on soon
0: yeah and as we're talking about being bold today i had to do a lot of reflection once i left my 30 plus year career (laughs) about what was the key to the parts that made it successful and then remember when the teacher would say no, I want you to show your work. And you just said, but I gave you the answer. Yeah. <laughs> now we want you to show your work. Anyway, it's yeah. not helpful, you know, and that drove us crazy. It drove me crazy. But I needed to show my work. Yeah. And how did all this that do I have something to get? Yeah. And when I, Jacqueline, went through your training a couple of years ago, you talked about what is your gift yeah. to those who would hear you. Because otherwise it's it's an exercise in narcissism. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, really, if it's not edifying to others, why on earth would they listen? And why would I speak? So I came from, you know, strong women, strong men, big Italian family on one side, the Irish singers on the other. Oh, wow. Grew up in that. That was my identity. Dad, dad, aunt, grandma, they were all opera singers. Grandpa was a concert pianist. We had the family piano business and, you know, all of those things. And then, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do for a living, but it seemed like music was the way to go, so I studied voice uh-huh. and did all that, and, and I just kept saying, I, I don't want to do this for a living, and I don't know what it is, and it was my mother who said, Julie, you've always been a writer, why don't you do broadcast journalism, and frankly, I could imitate people well, and I would kind of make fun of the anchor women. <laughs> <laughs> and I was pretty good at it and so that you know she said why don't you do broadcast journalism?" and I, okay if it only takes two more years yeah. to graduate because I was getting tired of college and changing majors and all that and moving to different schools and so I said okay and then it was going to take exactly two years so a year into that I did an internship at a station in Baton Rouge and fell absolutely in love with it and mm-hmm was able to get my foot in the door by coming up with a clever idea to do a segment and do like a once a week thing that would be a part-time contracted thing. And that that got my foot in the door and ended up with a reporting job on weekends until I graduated. And then suddenly I was an anchor woman a week after graduating, which just doesn't happen in the business, but I talk in the
1: book So what was the bold idea that you pitched to get a segment while you're still a college student?
0: There was something they were doing called the people factor. And as an intern, I would go out and help with this. So this is before social media. This is in the early 90s. And they were trying to get a way to engage with the viewers and have some fun on a Friday evening. And so go out with a photographer and ask people, the topic of the week might be ice cream What's your favorite ice cream? How many times a week do you eat ice cream? You know, it's stuff, just silliness, fun social media kind of stuff before yeah. social media. And what they would do is get all of these interviews together and, and the anchors on the set would say the question and they'd roll tape and then it come back to the anchors. And roll. So I had an idea, why don't I become the People Factor reporter? And I could put it all together on one tape and make it the People Factor segment that would air on Fridays. And then of course the boss says well julie i can appreciate your creativity and your drive but we don't have any openings right now there's nothing in the budget i can't put you on the clock So, said well this is the best part nick you're not going to hire me and put me on the clock you're going to contract me per segment and my fee is (laughs) twenty (laughs) dollars you know just kind of look at me and well uh, i'm gonna have to take that upstairs So they ended up doing that. and that only lasted a couple of months. So it was just a little Friday segment that I did. It didn't cost the station anything. And then the weekend reporter ended up leaving and I was there ready to go and he called me in and said, hey, we're going to give you a shot at this, but I need to know that you know what you're doing and you're not going to come to me with a million questions. Oh, I know. I I know what I'm doing. That's what you have to say. Right, Jacqueline? Yeah, absolutely. Of course I know. (laughs) I didn't know anything. But I learned on the job, and it was that kind of "fake it till you make it" kind of a thing, and just got better and better as I went. Barely making deadline and crying at the end of every day because yeah. of the, the stress of the deadlines. And but I knew that I was in those years of paying dues and figuring it out, and that I would get there. And eventually, I did. Got a job in Miami. Went from the ninety third market to you know the biggest market in a, in Florida and was there doing a segment called Child Watch for a few years, and had gotten an interview to go to WABC in New York, which was the goal. Yeah, absolutely. So I went there, and they said, well, we wanted to meet you, and this is how they do. They bring in three or four people they want to meet. I don't think they ever really were going to hire me for the position. It was the morning reporter that would be live in New York, and I didn't have live stuff on my resume tape. So They said, we want you to go someplace and really, really hone in on the live shots, do a live news story every night, and let's talk in a year. So I was looking at an anchor job in Charlotte or a reporting job in Cincinnati, and one would think, oh, go for the the big anchor job, but I was always looking at the bigger prize. So I said, I'm going to go to Cincinnati for one year, Yeah. And do live shots every night, which I did. But I ended up meeting this really cute cop on a homicide one. (laughs) Doggone it. And ended up married with two kids and stayed in Cincinnati for 27 years. Yeah. That's the way life works. And you figure out what, you know, dreams change. and, And that's how it worked out. Yeah, absolutely.
1: That's the best <laughs> How I Met My Husband story, though, I think that I've ever heard. Uh-huh. I was the reporter at a homicide and met a great cop. Uh, like, <laughs> Yeah,
0: and I, I locked
1: the keys in the live
0: van, and I had found the only eyewitness, Jacqueline, and I had to interview her. So she was standing there as he's there with a the Slim Jim getting the keys out, and he kept looking over at her, and I said, she saw everything, but you can't have her until I get my interview. <laughs> and he's like, that's not how it works. <laughs> Detective. (laughs) They took her away to interview. And so I never got the interview with her. So I was mad, but he thought I was cute. So he said, well, if you come by the station later, I'll give you some exclusive information to make up for this. And I said, okay. And that was that
1: So he thought there was this beautiful mad Irish Italian woman from down south uh. and he needed to follow up. <laughs> right I <laughs> love I love this, exactly. I love this so, yeah, much. so you went to Cincinnati to do that one year. You stayed, you're still there now 27 something years later. You actually did a lot of reporting. You actually became part of the community. You held an anchor spot on the main breakfast television show for how long for 20 something years?
0: I did it for several years. Then I went to weekends and I went back to mornings. I really was in every time slot. But this last stretch on the morning team was for three years, something like that. Yeah. But I I had been in all the time slots filling in and or having the position for a lot of years. So at some point, somebody saw me or heard my voice. And it was that I think people listen to television more than they watch. Yeah. Because they're doing things while they're listening to the news. So. I think people recognize my voice even more than my face yeah. because that's the experience in the grocery store. Yeah. That people will hear me laugh in the aisle over and have to walk over. Are you Julie O'Neill? <laughs> yeah. And it would drive my kids crazy because then I'd end up in a 30 minute conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. I enjoyed that. I like feeling it. I think we all need to feel connected and a sense of community. Yeah. And that always made me feel like we're one big family and so it ended up being a good career for me because I had some of that, and also got to use my brain and do different things every day, and yeah, and be competitive, and all of that works into my personality type. And the writing stories and making them come full circle with that special ending, and then you're like, yes, <laughs> yeah, and it's so exciting, and yeah, you know, and then people see it and. You start all over the next day.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's that start yeah. all over the next day bit that um always has my attention. Yeah. Julie, we met in 2019 in Cincinnati. You were in one of my training rooms. And the thing that struck me really quickly was number one, you knew what to do to get what you wanted. And we've got some great stories I want to unpack around that. Okay. The second thing was that really impressed me was that you did have this incredible career, have had this incredible career, but you were in- still incredibly in touch. And humble and willing to learn. So I want to go to that one first, because I think that's important before we go to the bold, because even though you make these big bold moves, and that's the topic of the book that's dropping for you, I also want to go to the fact that you're always learning, always looking so damn curious about things. So can you unpack that a little bit and more from the perspective of not necessarily like unpacking it with this is why it matters, but why do you think that was part of the secret of what you did? Because it's one of the things I first noticed about you. And there's a lot of people in journalism who aren't necessarily innately curious. So that curiosity and that constant learning, that constant exploring. Well, for one thing, I'm competitive. Yeah. And the other thing is that
0: I am the extrovert who loves people. Yeah. And I want to be good at telling their story. (laughs) And if you don't have a humility about you so that you can listen and really be quiet and let that person be the hero of their story, then you've failed them and that. So the better stories come with being inquisitive and in a way that allows people to really go deeper and tell a story and share things that are meaningful. When you think about the interviews you watch on television, it's when they take a beat and go to something you haven't heard before or in that way before that changes you. Yeah. And the idea of news is not that I give my opinion or try to convince you of something but to put it out there and let people have their moment and decide. Yeah. And you have to be curious and ask the questions that maybe people are afraid to ask or yeah, they're awkward and those kinds of things so you you have to get comfortable with having an awkward moment or ha- having that awkward moment of silence and then that allows for good things to come out. And you you learn that over time, and then you get better at, at being quiet and listening. You know. The other part is that I think curiosity goes with humility, Jacqueline, is that those times that I have failed or have experienced loss or pain, that people think you're an anchor woman, you got it all together, and boy, she has the But it's been those times when I've had those losses that make a person empathetic and build compassion. And that's one of the reasons I say the wins bring confidence, which is critically important, but it's the losses that bring the biggest wins because they connect to your humility and your curiosity to learn and grow and connect with people on a deeper
1: level. Yeah, absolutely. And I felt all of that when we first met and spent time together. Then I want to shift gears a little bit because bold is obviously the title of your book. It's absolutely what you've done throughout your career. How does that translate to making you bold and giving you the confidence to make those big moves? How does that that sort of foundation of curiosity and humility actually strengthen your ability to be bold?
0: And this is what I want for more people, Jacqueline, and, and the whole idea of talking about being bold. I started to look at some of the things that turned out really well for me and, and why, and and then showing my work kind of a thing. And I saw that when I did the unexpected, tried the unexpected, took a risk, there was a huge gain from that. And when you start to look at the odds and say, Yeah, this could have been painful, but nine times out of 10, it actually worked. Yeah. And those are good odds in life and in a casino. by the way yeah and so once you start having some success differentiating yourself and taking that that step of courage in the midst of fear and it pays off you're more inclined to do it again and I started to look at that and write some of this down and I went and had lunch as I say in the introduction of the book with a, a couple of heavyweights in in the corporate world women in in the high offices that are friends, part of my board of directors, as I say in the book. Yeah. And I asked them, what do you need in your companies? Because if if my book is not answering a question, if my speaking doesn't help, then why bother? And they both paused and really thought about it. And the one had no idea I was starting to write a book about being bold. That wasn't the title initially. Mm. And she said, I need more women at the table. Because they have the talent, they have the ideas, they have the intelligence, they have the education and the know-how, but they're not doing that thing that gets you to the next level. Yeah. And I thought, wow, you know, when God is working, because that was, I had already started on the book and thinking about those moments when I took a chance to do things differently and think differently and approach differently and they They paid off in a big way and set me apart in a career that's very competitive. How Mm -hmm. do I help other women and men too, but women have a harder time with, with this. Yeah. And it's something that we're conditioned in Mm -hmm. perhaps growing up to be, to be good or to be quiet or to get along or whatever it is. But, but I think when we, when we step out and, and speak up and have the courage to speak up. It, it pays huge dividends, and, yeah. and we have to do more of it.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I do the work that I do, because we've got to actually have women understand how to speak from a position of strength and power and grace. And if we can bring that to the table together with the talent and skills, the world changes. Like when women tell their stories, the world changes. And so that's one of the things that really got my attention with the book, particularly when we think about the stories that you've written in the book, and I'm going to encourage everybody to go and grab it, you, I'm grateful I got an advanced copy to go through, which was incredible. When you think about, oh, and actually we should celebrate. You had some amazing news this morning, didn't you? Yes. I, I woke <laughs> up and
0: yeah, you know, this is what happens when you become an author for the first time. By the way, this beach trip theme is the year of the book. <laughs> they all have to hear about it and read it and review it and all <laughs> captive audience in the condo. Jacqueline, I don't know if I should say this on your show, but I guessed at this and I was right, that they had a drinking game. (laughs) If Julie talks about the book, (laughs) anyway, uh, I'm falling in love with your family. (laughs) (laughs) And I knew they were doing it, so I purposely tried not to talk about it and then somebody else brought it up. Anyway, so my sister-in-law got me on that one. Uh, So what were we talking about? (laughs) What are we celebrating? <laughs> you just got some amazing news and you were telling, this is an author's life. Yeah. So I woke up this morning and I clicked the link and I was a number one Amazon bestseller for new releases in the category of women in business. Amazing. And it, there I was, number one. <laughs> so I'm I'm afraid I woke up everyone in the condo, but that was exciting. <laughs> Mimosas on the beach. Yeah, let's go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Good day, good day. Yeah, that's an amazing day. Goes into it, and you put yourself out there. And here's another example of, you know what? Think I'll write a book. Yeah, absolutely. Came
1: together, and here it is. So wow. (laughs) And the theme of it is bold, and you've got some great stories in there. If you think about the combination being bold, and the stories from your career, and the stories you've included in the book. What is the one that stands out? I mean, it's hard to say what's your favorite. What is the one that stands out from a being bold perspective that really pushed you to your own limits?
0: Mm. There were a couple of key ones early in the career. And I say that because, yeah, I I had somebody say a long time ago, you don't build self esteem and confidence by losing. You have to win to get those things. And that really made me think, okay, because as I said before, losses are very meaningful because they give you the empathy and compassion, you need to be truly relational with people and understand what people are going through so that you can communicate and, you know, and, and have real relationship, which yeah. is the most important thing in life. But the wins, when you have one of those, boy, that sends that happy signal to the brain. And, oh, I, I would like to have more of that ice cream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there were a couple of key ones early on. People love to hear the Bill Clinton story And this is when former President Bill Clinton was first running for office. And he was going to be coming through town. He was trying to get the Democrat nomination. And I got a tip that he was going to be jogging in the morning. And for those of you who are in Australia, he was known for every, you know, on the campaign trail, you saw him jogging all the time. He started the day with jogging. All the national press would fall anyway anyway, this particular morning, it was Baton Rouge, so he would be jogging from a hotel in town to this uh, place that sold the beignets and coffee. Mm-hmm. Coffee call was the name. So I thought, I'm going to get out there early, and I'll try to get an interview, and so I go, and my photographer's with me. At this time, we the cameras were bigger and bulkier, and they were connected by cord to the handheld microphone, and so... I decide I'm going to try to jog alongside him
1: <laughs> and uh-huh. ask him a
0: question. And here I am in the foreign shield, and that, that didn't work out so well. <laughs> so then in the national press is there, but not the local reporters. So they're all, I'm sure rolling their eyes. Who is this stupid girl? And, but you know, I just had to tell them, I don't care. Yeah. And that was when I started this, something that I call a very important tool, which is mind your mantras. And, You have to talk to yourself, as my mother would say. Talk to yourself, Julie Catherine. because you can talk yourself into anything or out of anything. And I started talking to myself early that I just don't embarrass easily. Thank God I don't embarrass easily. And I say that every time I embarrass myself or have a bad moment, oh, thank goodness I don't embarrass easily. And then (laughs) I laugh and whoever it is, I'm with laughs. And then it diffuses that discomfort and pain of that bad moment. So we decide we're going to plan B and we get to coffee call, and there's this table of veterans. And so we're going to get behind the table of veterans because we know if he's running for president, he's going to approach this table. And so, sure enough, he does. And, and we're there, and we have the nice shot of him with the, the veterans. And I pull out the microphone to pick up what he's saying and think maybe I'll throw in a question here. Well, at that time, George Stephanopoulos, who's one of the main anchors for ABC News now, but at that time, he was one of the campaign advisors for Bill Clinton, and James Carville also got famous from that campaign, and they were there, and they were like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm brand spanking new. I, I wasn't anchoring it. This is when I was a part-time weekend reporter who had no idea what she was doing, and I said, well, I just... I." I And at that point, James Carville, who was from Louisiana, I think, took a little pity on me. They pulled me aside. He said, look, Bill Clinton is going to go over, fill up his coffee over there at the counter. Then he's going to turn around. He's going to go out that side door and walk out and sit with that table of students. If you want to set up out there, I can't promise you anything, but you can maybe try to grab a quick question with him then. I said, okay, so all the national press photographers all over the place, they're following him to go fill up his coffee. So they're all behind him. Sure enough, he turns is all choreographed and walks out that door and walks straight up to me. And I'm like, Matt, do you mind if I ask you a question? <laughs> He's, sure. So I fire off my first question. Well, this was right in the midst of a major scandal in which, Bill Clinton had been accused of an affair with a woman named Jennifer Flowers and it was dominating all the press. So all of these photographers see that, oh, we're answering questions now. So they are jumping over tables. It was mayhem trying to get a place to be able to ask a question because he wasn't supposed to answer questions that day. So I get my first question off. He finishes. I get my second question off. And at this point, everybody's, Mr. Clinton or governor or and he took my question the second time then he finishes and we all fire questions at him again and he takes my third question wow now I want the money shot as we call it, the cutaway I need my photographer to get on the other side of him and show him talking to me which is that proof of performance moment that shows that this is real you know the big interview is talking to this little reporter in the midst of this photographer trying to get around, somebody shoved into him. He shoved into me. I get pushed into Bill Clinton, who spills coffee all over himself. And you hear him on camera going, ah. <laughs> and I don't have to know how familiar some of you are with the I Love Lucy show, where she's always getting herself in a jam and embarrassing herself. And there's always, and so here I, I'm in that I Love Lucy mode where I've, taking my notepad and trying to pat him down and apologize. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then eventually the photographer gets in place to get the shot. And I I have to look the part. So I stand up and look straight at him with that serious news dog face and hold the microphone. (laughs) So we got the cutaway shot. (laughs) But I think the reason that I I love that story, because I was the only reporter he talked to. Yeah. Here was all the national media there. The local media didn't even know about it. I was the only one that got a one-on-one with him that day. And so I had no right to be confident. I had no right to try these different things to get him. And I certainly was nervous and certainly did not really know what I was doing. Yeah. But I understood that I was early on in my career and this is a time for taking risks and I'm going to. Yeah. And as I talk about being bold, Jacqueline, it does not have to be confidence. Mm. You can be bold Without any confidence, it because it's a mindset. It's a decision. I'm going to pick it up like a briefcase and bring it in. Bling. And you ha- have to just roll the dice and try it. Bling. And I
1: did, and I got him. And you got him. I got him, and I was the only one. <laughs> you were the only one, and it wasn't perfect, and you didn't blow up in flames. Exactly. We can edit all of this.
0: Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Know, And so that's one of the key stories because I was bold when I didn't have a right to be. And it really started to set in place that mindset because I, when you have a win, it makes you want to try that again. Yeah. And then came the time that I was, you know, I decided we were going to, we needed to interview Mother Teresa about our beloved bishop who died and. And I got laughed at, oh, you get Mother Teresa and I'll get the Pope. ha, <laughs> And I said, well, I'll have her on the phone by the end of the day. And that's what I told myself. And I did. And you can read the book to see how that played out. But, yeah. you know, when you get a phone number that has like 16 digits and call and you're recording and you hear, hello? You don't know who's going to answer the phone. You don't even know if you have the right number. Hello? And I said, May I please speak to Mother Teresa? And I hear, this is Mother Teresa. Who is this? And that's that life moment. Yeah. I had Mother Teresa on the phone. Everybody knew even at that time she was going to be canonized someday. And what a powerful, influential woman she is. I do a whole keynote on, on Mother Teresa as the boldest businesswoman of our time. Oh, I truly believe that. And there's so much she did as a savvy businesswoman in the way she had a very clear mission statement. And she had world leaders fumbling all over themselves to give her whatever she wanted. She was very clear about who she was and what her mission was. That's a big piece of things, but I digress. So at the end of that phone call, Jacqueline, and it was, you know, a typical thing you say when you're saying goodbye. But she said, God bless you. And I, so I went screaming through the newsroom. I've been blessed by a saint, you know. <laughs> but I had to, you know, I was challenged and I had to just take a breath. How do I get this? Yeah. And the first step in in getting something you want. And, and the bottom line is it was meaningful to our community. Yeah. to have Mother Teresa weigh in on the death of this wonderful bishop who, who had been diagnosed with cancer, we watched him die as a community and show us how to, and to have her weigh in and pray and, and all of that. And that interview, it was really profound. And it wouldn't have been if I didn't think it could be. And so those little, those moments early on in my career helped me to develop this desire to keep being bold, even though there were times things flopped and didn't work. And yes, I embarrassed myself and had failures. But those big moments far outweigh those others. And that's what I want to see people get in touch with. And the way I got those things would be different than how you got them, Jacqueline, or anybody else listening. And understanding that because I was a people pleaser by nature, it was hard for me to do an ambush interview or there were certain things as a reporter that were difficult for me. I found that just doing it, in a, the unique way with the unique gifts that God gave me mm-hmm. actually sometimes worked better. Yeah. And we have to be in touch with the uniqueness we bring and how we bring it. And that, that can be worked with. God yeah. can work with all kind of stuff. And I learned that over
1: time mm. and and I'm so grateful for it. I think one of the things you just mentioned there as well is the ambush interview because particularly in previous like you know decades you've been in journalism for you know quite some time the ambush interview to most of us who are people pleasers and most of us who consider ourselves introverts and those that don't necessarily feel that they have confidence it always fascinates me the ability to do that and to do that well now you said that you were quite unique in your approach what was it that you did that was different I don't like anyone to be uncomfortable. Yeah.
0: I don't like those awkward moments. I like to smile and be happy. I like to be the good guy. I want to be liked. Yeah. None of those things would tend to lend themselves to approaching the head of a multi-billion dollar company whose product, one of his products, had safety concerns. And he's dodged every reporter globally. Yeah. So I had to go find him. And I had to be strategic about how I could get him kind of trapped so he couldn't get away from me. And so there was a lot of figuring out the front end of that and doing your homework. And I knew the material so well. I had a legal pad full of questions, but you're not sitting down in an interview across from someone where you can look down at your paper and they're going to stay so you can get to everything. You have to be thinking on your feet and making sure they don't get away from you. So when I approached this, this man, we were on the floor of a big conference thing and he was on his way out the door and there's only one way out. And so when I first started talking to him, I asked him about something that he was proud of, that he liked. He yeah. didn't know why I was there. Some other thing he had invented. And so he was excited and talking and, and. A crowd started to gather, and then I hit the first question. And uh oh, what do we have here? And get okay, and started to ask the other more serious questions. And you could see him getting nervous. My instinct, Jacqueline, was that I didn't like the way that felt, and I wanted him happy again. Yeah. So I naturally started asking him about the good stuff, and then his countenance changed, and he. They- Start talking about that. Everything was good and comfortable and I had him some more. And then I got back to the stuff that I was there for. And this went on for a full hour. Wow. I got every question answered. That report was nominated for a Peabody. Uh-huh. And nobody else got him. And if people would have seen the whole process, they'd have thought, what a ninny she is. <laughs> 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 because my instinct was to For him to like me and to talk about good things, too. And I wasn't there to hurt him or burn him or try to... I just needed the questions answered. Yeah. And so I was able to be authentically me and bring my style, which was very different than what you might see on 60 Minutes or 2020. But at the end of the day, I knew my homework. I got the questions in and had a heck of a story by the end of it. And it was because... I went to my instincts yeah, and I didn't end up even looking down at my notepad because in the moment I realized I had to keep eye contact with him, but I was so prepared and I was so in tune with it and believe me, I was shaking yeah. and very nervous, but I was able to to take deep breaths and just be in the moment with him and get everything out eventually. Yeah, And by the end of it, I think I felt like, how did I do? <laughs> did we get everything? It's, yeah, you got everything. But that really taught me that I always said I could never do that because I think of myself a certain way. But mm. then I realized I probably got what those others couldn't because of my style of approach, which was natural to me.
1: Yeah. What I love about that is, you know, you prepared for it. So by the time you get there, you didn't even have to look at your questions. So, and I think that's something, you know, we talk about speaking, we talk about business success, we talk about strategy. And so many people seem to be shooting from the hip with this stuff, but you were prepared. The reason you could take advantage of that opportunity that you created was the preparation. I also love the fact that you understood that you had to keep eye contact. So you had to see the human in him for him to continue. And yeah, so for him to continue, you knew that if you lost that eye contact that it would break the rhythm. And the third thing that I love, which is something that we are always talking about with, particularly with speaking, but any sort of storytelling or narrative telling, is that light and shade that you did. It's like, I needed these questions asked, but I also needed to get him to relax. So you did this light and shade through the rhythm. You kind of took him to where he loved to be and then... In exchange for that, you then took him to what you needed to know, but you didn't keep him there. And I think that is a difference that stands out for me because we think of ambush interview or we think of, you know, in business development terms in businesses as well, like we've got to quite often out cold outreach, put ourselves where we need to be for the opportunities and things like that. What I'm interested in is you say that you did that light and shade, got him talking about what he loved because you like to be liked and you're people pleaser and I think a lot of the times that that's got really bad connotations so I love that you're flipping that on its head how important do you think that's been throughout your whole career though that ability to move where they are to be able to get what you need Jacqueline this is why
0: I love you just forgive me for a moment I remember you telling me at the training that all those years ago talking about the need to memorize your keynote and I thought, oh, That's a lot of work. I got a memory (laughs) because I like to go from the hip. I naturally don't like to do all of that. But you were exactly right. The more prepared you are, the freer you are. Yeah. To be really authentic in the moment with the person to whom you are speaking. And when you're speaking, you are speaking to one person. Yeah. Always. I never open a newscast with, hi, everybody. It's not everybody. Yeah. It's one person, probably on a treadmill <laughs> in the morning, <laughs> getting ready, or you know, cooking or whatever. And when I did interviews, it's one person. And if you are prepared going in and humble and curious, you're going to get that person to open up to you in a way that that person would not otherwise. Yeah, It's so critical. And then when you have that moment where you are connecting And you're starting to hear what they're saying. And it's such a powerful human thing. And Jacqueline, life is difficult. We all that are listening right now and together for this moment have some stuff going on people wouldn't believe. Mm -hmm. And we have to understand that we're all human beings. And when we relate to each other as human beings who are flawed and sometimes lost, and need some encouragement and really get in touch with the person to whom you are speaking and what's going on with them, that allows us to free up and really relate and learn from one another and grow and and feel a little less scared in this world. Yeah. And I think that's true, journalism and speaking or whatever it is you want to do in your career and business, when you relate to someone as a human being. Let me get to this real quick, Jacqueline, because I, I bring this up in the book. I learned early as a news anchor about the pyramid. Mm -hmm. The first thing people see is what they see. Then they hear. Then they decide that they like your delivery. And it goes through. And the top of the pyramid is they're so comfortable and trust you so much. You're like family. This is where you want to be as an anchor where they want you in their home. You're part of it. And they feel safe with you. Yeah. It's the same way for any other business. Jacqueline, if you have a relationship with the president of that company, a real relationship, somebody else who's just as smart and just as savvy and just as whatever else is not going to get the business. You'll get it because yeah. you took the time to learn about this person and value them as a human being. People are relational; they want relationships, and in business and in life, if you just take a beat mm. and to know that person, it pays dividends, and it's just a better life.
1: Yes? Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. I remember being a young mother and my youngest child was born 10 weeks premature. So we're in hospital. It was very dramatic. And I was running a family-owned business that turned over about four or five million dollars a year at the time. And it was a competitive landscape. We were in recruitment and labor behind. Uh, I and, think so. <laughs> yeah, so really competitive landscape. So when everyone knew that I was ill and I was at, knocked out of action, the, literally the competition started swarming. And I had clients who would come and visit. So my top clients spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a year would come and bring the contract renewals to the hospital for me to sign to make sure that they could lock the gate on the other people. And, you know, and that didn't happen because we were the best labour hire company, even though we were. That happened because of the relationship we built. And I'd been told Mm -hmm. all the way through, because this is 20 years ago, I've been told all the way through, don't mix your personal and professional life. And I was like, well, I have no choice. I've got three children under five. Like I, I have to be who I am. That's exactly right, Jacqueline. Yeah. Everyone, advisors, mentors all said, don't fuse it. But then when we went through this, so there was that incident, not incident, that challenge and the clients bandied around us and made sure that the competition didn't get into our relationships because it meant so much. So when I was out of action for like nearly three months, because we were really ill, they made sure that my team kept running. Wow. You know, and that was relationship. And then we had a challenge later on, which I've spoken about in another podcast, where I lost my 2 IC by suicide, mm. and it had massive impact on our entire community. And again, they stepped up and supported my team as best they could, and they made allowances for us to get through that. And that was not possible without creating relationship. And so I yes. really love that you brought that through because you look from the outside looking in, Julia O'Neill- Television News Anchor, very successful long career. And your number one takeaway for me this morning is it's about relationship.
0: Yes. Everything is and, and that hear it's it's business, it's not personal. All it's of it is so damn is personal, personal. <laughs> because it involves people. Yeah. And the more we understand that we're all people trying to get through this world and, and giving a little grace to one another and taking a minute to get to know somebody yeah the, my favorite interview of all time and i write about it in the book yeah i this, this guy sold me jewelry once and and we talked and got to know each other to the point where we exchanged cell phone numbers and he was a family friend and so i just tend to be that way i like to get to know people but i didn't know this years later he calls and he says hey julia i, I just wondering if you might have an interest in this story and I, well yeah what's up joe And it turns out that his father was a World War II vet and had been there storming the beaches of Normandy on D-Day and was blown up and sewn up, as he put it, three times and was told he'd never have children. But he begged for his life. And he starts going through the whole story. And then I won't give away the end (laughs) because I want you to read the book and be inspired by Charlie. Charlie, I love Charlie. And, you know, the best interviews I ever did, and people ask me, who's your favorite interview, And they all think it's Garth Brooks. (laughs) (laughs) Because I do. You know, how do you not love Garth? Yeah. And I did. I smile every time I think about Garth. And that was so cool. But this World War II vet, it was always the military. Yeah. Because if, if you could relate to someone who has seen something you can't even fathom, they've been to the darkest place of humanity. And then they carry that with them through their lives. And this man was from the greatest generation. I could go on. But here I was. This was the jewelry guy. Yeah. And he had all of this inside him. Yeah. People have stories to tell and powerful things in their lives. If we take a minute to get to know someone, we find out all kinds of things that are so beautiful and special and inspiring. Yeah. And so that's what we should do more in any business, not just
1: journalist. So how grateful do you feel to have actually had an entire career where you just get to find stories and tell them on behalf of other people?
0: Jacqueline, I I never worked a day in my life. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I can feel it.
0: You know, I hate to say it because she might hear me in the other room, but my mother was right. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. You whispered it. It's fine. hate that. But yeah, it turned out to be the Perfect because there was a performing aspect to it, Yeah, like the singing and everything. It gave me some performing, which was in the blood, but it also lent itself to getting to know people and telling their stories in a way that were meaningful. That story that I wrote about Charlie mm. that aired on TV, and I shot it myself with the camera. He's now passed. His family will have that for generations. Yeah, That's their legacy. It was one story in one night for me, but that's something they'll have forever. And I did that. Yeah. And, yes, it was a wonderful career. Obviously, there are bad moments. We cover a lot of tragedy. There were times I had to kind of step away and say, okay, you need to put me on a couple of good news stories because I'm going dark on you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So there were those, obviously, but it was a wonderful career. I'm very, very
1: blessed. So... Everything about you was about bold. And when we first met in the training room, it was absolutely about being bold. You spoke about Mother Teresa. And by the way, you so need to do that keynote. <laughs> the bold moves that she made and things like that. Who else in that you've met that you, do you really admire and respect for being really bold, big hearted and bold? Oh, there we go.
0: I don't want to talk about being, you know, so yeah, Mother Teresa is always who comes to mind that I talk about. I dedicated the book to my mother. Yeah. And, you know, there are everyday people like my mother. No one listening here today with us knows her, but she's that person that on our way to the beach trip two years ago, there's a traffic jam and we're coming out of a side street. We'd have been there all night and we were 10 minutes from the condo. (laughs) So here's my mother, 78 years old, gets out of the car and goes out to the street and stops traffic (laughs) and waves the the cars to get out so we can all get to the beach. Now, right or wrong, Jacqueline, there was a police officer right there sitting in his car, and he wasn't at all worried about it. We'd have been there for hours, and it was just a few cars. But she's just that person that is going to get out and do it and solve the problem, and and grew up around that. And anybody had an issue... She was on it. and and it was there was nothing too big, nothing that couldn't be done. You know, we have those people in our lives, yeah, and paying attention to that, I think, is important because they're the ones that take care of us. They're the leaders, and we all need to rise up sometimes and be that leader,
1: yeah, absolutely. Jilly, we've spoken about a lot of the highlights and the things that really light you up. I don't want to go into the detail of your transition out of media because it is covered beautifully in the book. Thank you. What I would love to know, though, is as you have moved through this process, which was the only thing I'll say is it was unexpected. What is it that you are taking away with you? What have you observed noticed, discovered as a result of this most recent six to 12 months of yours?
0: I will say this. Throughout my career, there were, it's a very competitive business, and many businesses are, there were people that I mentored, and they, then they got the promotion instead of me, and people who moved on to bigger and better jobs that, you know, on some level you could be very tempted to be jealous of that, or be careful helping that person, because then they may get something. And I, I went into it, and maybe this was the influence of my parents, but I decided early on, I was going to be the person that built up other people and was a cheerleader for other people, come what may, because on the other end, I was going to feel good about the way I conducted myself and the way I treated people. And so when the last day came and I was gone from the business to have so many of my colleagues present. And past reach out to me about how i mentored them and helped them and how they admire me you know the different things that you hear was just really really powerful that's the stuff of life yeah and i may say you know i never got to new york i didn't get to do this i didn't but if you look at what you did get to do and how other people's lives were enriched in some way or that you helped other people get to the next level too It's knowing who you are, what you stand for, and being true to that. And boy, it feels good at the end that you feel like you did that pretty well. Yeah. We all have our bad moments, but I share in the book that I have that anyway poem that I kept Mm -hmm. in the cubicle of my desk. And one of the lines in it it was what Mother Teresa had, had up on her wall in Calcutta. One of the lines is, give the world the best you got and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you've got anyway yeah and because i believed that that regardless of the result this is who i am i'm going to do things or make decisions based on what i believe not pride and ego which is always tempting yeah but based on what i believe about how we should live and when you keep coming back to your values your mission what you think it's all about and you have clarity about that then when it's all said and done you have to feel good about it yeah and i'm so grateful for that i'd love to have won more awards or done other things but at 55 years old knowing that i stuck to that which i believed pretty darn well is a wonderful place to be in We'll figure out how to make money, Jacqueline.
1: (laughs) We'll figure that out. Uncle Brigham says we can always make more money. Yeah, the best is yet to come, (laughs) Miss O'Neill. That's it, baby. (laughs) The best is yet to come. So, Julie, I could, as always, speak to you forever. I loved when we had time together in Cincinnati a few years ago. We are going to have to wrap the conversation up relatively soon, but I've just got a couple of quick questions, if that's okay. Okay. And one of them is, it feels kind of strange asking a broadcast expert, broadcast journalist, although I don't think you're an ex, something's in your blood. Are you books or podcasts? Where do you go?
0: You can go to Amazon right now and it's uh, bold. Yeah, is the title. Yeah. And the subtitle is the secret to my big wins to help you crash through your comfort zone.
1: Amazing. Julie
0: O'Neill with two L's. Yeah. And eventually I'll have an audio book. Haven't done that yet, but I have the book and the paperback right now on Amazon. That's where I'm starting. And right now doing
1: speaking and book signings and it's fun. Yeah, I'm I'm having a good time. Yeah. yeah, that's where it is for now. I'm really, actually, it makes my heart quite full to know that you're, you are now speaking. Thank you. We knew that you had a powerful voice when we first met. When we think about all of the things that you've woven through and the insights into, you know, the beautiful family that you come from and this Irish-Italian background in Baton Rouge, what is it about little Julie that you still have within you now?
0: Little Julie wanted much more out of life. Yeah. She was a dreamer and she always wanted more than whatever the traditional was. From very small, it was, I'm going to dream big and that sense of, you know, maybe Pollyanna, maybe idealistic, but that idealistic, even though there's evil in the world and there's no question about it, that people are basically good and yeah. good things can happen, that I can make a difference, that's still there. That is still there. Amazing. Like it or not, that's still there.
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> Julie, I really do hope that people go out and grab the book. As I said, I'm grateful for the advanced copy. It's been amazing to read through that and get some deeper understanding the stories that we shared a few years ago. Julie, thank you so much for joining us. It's been absolutely wonderful.
0: Jacqueline, you've been a,
1: a great influence
0: on my life and helping me to really see what I have to give. And you could be making money a lot of different ways. You've had great success as a businesswoman. I love that you're putting your energy into what you're doing and helping women to find their voice and to blast it out there and help other people to find what their gift is and and put it out there to the world. It's beautiful. I'm glad to have you in my life and how cool to be on your podcast.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Raise 1000 Voices. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. And if you have, then I would love you to subscribe to and rate the show on your favourite platform. Our show notes, resources and links to all our socials can be found at anygiventuesday.com.au Tuesday.com.au forward slash podcast and if you'd like to join a growing community of clever creative and courageous women who know that they want to be seen heard and remembered then join us in our facebook group raise 1000 voices until we speak again take care and remember you were born to raise your voice